Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stonebridge Church. This has been an unusual weekend, an unusual weekend in the life of the church, and there have been some cases of difficulty with the COVID virus, and Dr. Easley, in fact, is not well today. My name is Robert J. Morgan, and I'm filling in, and we wish all of you good health and strength and also Dr. Easley especially, may God give him great strength. I talked to him this week and he is so positive and he sounded great. So we're just taking a pause here and giving the Lord time to spread his healing among us. But we're going to study the Bible today. I want to begin with prayer. And then after prayer, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to a passage of scripture. We have people watching all over the Brentwood and Nashville area, all over Tennessee, and all over the country, and in fact, all over the world. So we are just going to engage in Bible study together. But let's have an opening prayer and ask for God's blessings on this time. Our Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, we unite our hearts from our different places where we are, our homes and our uh, hotel rooms and wherever we may be right now. We recognize you are the great creator of heaven and earth. You are our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or ever you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. And you've told us that our lives on this planet are fleeting, but that we have abundant life in Christ, and we have eternal life through him, and that you stand above it all and look down and care for us and fill our days with goodness and mercy and with love and grace. And so, Lord, we appeal to that now. We ask you to heal those who are sick, to protect those who are well so that they don't get sick, to be with our nation at this critical time, to give leaders to us that have the wisdom to understand the times and to know what we should do, that you would guide us during this political season and with the great questions that are facing us in many different ways. We ask, Lord, that you would be with those who are serving us all over the world and the armed forces and with our emergency responders. We pray, Father, that you would also be with those pastors and churches across the nation and around the world that are seeking to represent you and to spread the gospel of Christ in these difficult days. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage those who are under persecution today, and may they stand strong and may the church continue to grow. We ask you, Lord, to bless this church and to bless and to strengthen Dr. Easley, and to forgive all of our sins. And we would say, Father, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we pray these things and give our time to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to turn there, and if you have a Bible near at hand, I want to study through the first eight verses of this wonderful book with you. And I've been very intrigued with the book of Acts. I've been studying it in my own Bible study recently. 
and have been going through it again and again and again. And think of this. If the book of Acts were not in the Bible, if we only had 65 books of the Bible and we didn't have the book of the Acts, then when we opened the New Testaments, we would be absolutely lost. The New Testament hinges and hangs together on the basis of the book of Acts. For example, if you're reading in the Gospels, let's say you have the four Gospels, and you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about the ministry of Jesus, and then the very last scene is Jesus talking to Peter along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, telling him, do you love me? Then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of my flock, he says. And then we close out the Gospels. If there were no book of Acts, then the next page would be the book of Romans. And we would say, what is all of this about? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We would say, who is this guy, Paul? He didn't show up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. What have you done with Peter? And the whole scheme of thought of Romans and all of these Pauline epistles and then the final epistles and finally Peter shows up and John at the end and the book of Revelation. It, we would have a hard time making sense of it all if it were not for the book of Acts. The book of Acts consolidates the Gospels and paves the way for the epistles and links them together. And I'm just absolutely fascinated, and I think that this book of Acts does have something important to say to us today. We've got to look at current events against the unfolding truth and the history that we have in this book called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we are living, as you know, in very difficult and turbulent times. And just when we thought things could not get any angrier or more acrimonious in the United States, then suddenly we have the Supreme Court vacancy and all of the political explosions that that is causing. And we are likely to think that the great hinges of history are swinging on what happens today and tomorrow and in the coming weeks in our nation. We are all consumed with it. The media and the news cycles are just domineering. But what I want to say to you today is that the hinges of history do not depend on what happens today or tomorrow. What happens today and tomorrow and in our nation is important. It's very important, but it's not that important. The most important thing is what Jesus Christ is doing in this world. And we began to get indications of that from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And so with your Bibles open, let's read together the first eight verses of this fifth book of the New Testament. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning with chapter 1 and verse 1. And then I want to give you three words. So here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after having given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself alive using many infallible proofs 
and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed under his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses for me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. So there we have the preamble of this book of Luke. The three words that I want to show you, because I think we can follow the progression of the thought here with these three words, are these words. In verse 1, I have them underlined. <clears throat> In verse 1, the word began. B-E-G-A-N, that little word began. And then in verse number um, 5, the word baptized. Circle that word, or at least mentally underline it in the text. And then in verse 8, the word but, B-U-T. Those are the words that I want to focus on, and we'll let those unfold as they come along. The first word is this word began, and then the word baptize, and then the word but. So put those down, and let's follow it together. Now let's go back to verse 1. Here Luke is writing in my former book. And my is a reference here to Luke. We're almost absolutely certain about that. The great, brilliant Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and he might have written the book of Hebrews. I'm reading right now a very interesting book called The Lucan Authorship of Hebrews. And the writer there, David Allen, a seminary professor, is making a strong case that Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, that he was a Jew, not a Gentile, as we're sometimes told. And one of his points is that the marvelous, the classical form in the Greek with which the Gospel of Luke is written and the book of Acts is written is also afflicted in the book of Hebrews. Well, I don't know. I don't think we can know who wrote the book of Hebrews but it's possible that it was Luke. So certainly this was a dominant, brilliant man in the New Testament. And when he spoke about his former book, he is obviously speaking about the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So Luke at least wrote those two books, maybe Hebrews, but he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke covers about 30 years. The book of the Acts of the Apostles covers about 30 years. And so Luke gives us the first 60 years of the history of Christianity. The Gospel of Luke tells us how Jesus was born in Bethlehem by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and how his ministry culminated in Jerusalem. The book of the Acts of the Apostles tells us how the church was born in Jerusalem 
by supernatural action of the Holy Spirit and culminated in Rome, which was the center and the capital of the then-known world. So this makes a marvelous companion volume, and Luke here begins his book of Acts by referring back to his gospel. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus, we may know who this man is in history, but he apparently was the man to whom Luke was dedicating both of these books, and maybe the man who underwrote them because he was wealthy enough to pay for the production and the writing and the transmission of these books, both back in antiquity and today. It takes a great deal of money to publish a book, and the word Theophilus means someone who loves God, a lover of God. And so in a sense, this book is dedicated to all of us, isn't it, who are lovers of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I have been struck for the last 45 years, ever since I saw that word begun. He is telling us here that the gospel, the Lucan gospel, the gospel referring to my former book, my former treatise, the gospel was the story of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It doesn't say the gospel is the story of all that Jesus did and taught, but the story of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And this is so extraordinarily important. As near as I can remember, my opening sermon of my first series of my lifelong pastorate at the Donaldson Fellowship was from this text. I wanted to begin my ministry by emphasizing that word began because it tells us something. Luke is implying here, using that very verb, that the book of Acts is going to be the story of what Jesus is continuing to say and continuing to do. Now, there is significance there. This isn't accidental. There are no accidental syllables in the Bible. So if the gospel records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us all that Jesus began to do and to teach, then the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and continued to teach by his Holy Spirit through his people after he went up to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. So it tells us Jesus is still working in this world. He is still speaking in this world. He is as active and as present and as dynamic now as he ever was in the days of the Gospels. Now, think about what this means. In the upper room discourse, which is John's Gospel, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and that marvelous sermon, it begins with the upper room story and the washing of the disciples' feet, and then Jesus begins teaching them, and then they suddenly leave at the end of chapter 14, and they go through the darkened streets on their way to Gethsemane, and he continues to teach them in chapters 15 and 16, and then he prays in chapter 17. We call all of this the upper room discourse, the last great sermon of Jesus. It's so deep and so probing 
But Jesus says two things here on the last night of his life in this upper room sermon that are particularly important as it relates to this word began in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. First of all, he said to the disciples, the works that you have seen me do, greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, he says, the works that I've done here that you've recorded in the Gospels, the great crowds and the sermons and the healings and the miracles and all of these things that I've been doing, you are going to do greater works than I have ever done. And they must have, I can't even imagine what they thought when they said that. But is it true that we are able to do greater works in the ministry today than Jesus did? Well, I want you to think about it this way. Here in Nashville, you know, we have a capital city, but some miles out, there is the city or the town of Lebanon, and a little further out there is Carthage, and Carthage is sort of a little rural area, and people who live in Carthage, they, they have a wonderful town there, and they have a rural area and good fellowship, but it's not a big city. But occasionally they may come to Nashville for something. The area right around Carthage, that rural area, was like where Jesus spent most of his time in ministry. I remember going on a mountain over the Sea of Galilee, where you could look down and see basically the panorama of Galilee as it is today in Israel. And my friend stood there on the precipice of the mountain. We were looking down over it. And he put his arms out like this as though to encompass a little area. And he said, do you realize we are looking right now at where 80% of our Lord's ministry took place? And it's true. It was just in that area. It was like around Carthage. Now, Jesus would occasionally come to Nashville. That is, he would occasionally go to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. But primarily, his ministry was limited to that area. He never traveled like the Apostle Paul. He could have. He could have gone down to Joppa or down to Caesarea and got on a ship and gone to Athens or gone to Corinth or gone to Ephesus or gone to Rome. He could have done that. He could have gone up to Asia Minor. But he never traveled very much. He stayed around Carthage in that rural area as it was right around Galilee. But he said to the disciples... When I go away, you're going to do much greater things than I did because Jesus understood that his ministry was limited to a few thousand people and to a rural area, that Galilean area, until he went to heaven. But then he was going to send his disciples all over the world and they were going to go places and reach people and penetrate generations through the power of the Holy Spirit that he could never have done as a single incarnate individual in Galilee. So the book of the Acts of the Apostles is the ongoing story of what Jesus did after he returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to work through his apostles. And then Jesus said something else in this upper room discourse. This is really remarkable. He looked at the apostles 
And he said in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, I have much more to say to you. And this was the last night of his natural life. He said, I've only begun to teach you. I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear it yet. You are not ready for it yet. He was saying, in effect, there are certain things that have to take place. You can't even understand it yet. But he says, when I get back to heaven, I'm going to tell the Holy Spirit what I want to continue to tell you, and he's going to give it to you. And so we have the epistles. We have Romans and Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians. What is it? It is the ongoing teaching ministry of Jesus through the pens of the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus said in the Gospels is very introductory. I mean, it's mainly parables and proverbs and seminal statements and introductory concepts and embryonic teachings. But then, after he went to heaven, he gave further teachings to the Holy Spirit who gave it to the apostles who were the writing apostles and the preaching apostles. And so Jesus gave us John 3.16, you must be born again. But he explained it later with the book of Romans. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant which is given for you. But he explained it later through the aforementioned book of Hebrews. He said, for example, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. But then he expanded that in the book of Galatians. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man coming as lightning from the east to the west. But he explained later what he meant in the book of Revelation. So what we have in the Gospels is simply the beginnings of Jesus' work and his teachings. And what we have in the book of Acts and in the epistles is the ongoing continuation of what he wanted to say and what we have today in our world with what is happening here at this church and in churches all around the world and through Christians is the ongoing work of what Jesus wants to continue to do in this world and it cannot be stopped. So it seems to me that is the significance of that word, began. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, having given instructions to the apostles through the Holy Spirit, and after his sufferings, he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and he spoke to them over a period of 40 days about the kingdom of God. Now, let's just stop there. Jesus did have 40 days after the resurrection, before he went to heaven. What did he talk to the disciples about during those 40 days? He talked to them about the kingdom. Now, here is what I think was going on. I think that Peter and Thomas and Andrew and Bartholomew and the others they thought that Jesus was the Messiah who would come and immediately establish the Old Testament promises about the kingdom in Jerusalem in his own lifetime. And when he went with them to Jerusalem, they thought that was going to happen. But then instead, the Lord was caught and captured 
and tortured and treated like an animal and slain like a dog and their worlds completely fell apart. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose again, just up from the grave, glorified and miraculous. And what did he do then? He began explaining to them. We read about this in Luke 24 with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He began explaining to them that the Messiah had to die and suffer and rise again. He said, do you not know that the Son of Man had to suffer? And he went back to the Old Testament. I suppose he took them to Isaiah 53. And he began telling them about the necessity of the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And then, all of a sudden, they understood it. Well, he is still going to bring in his kingdom, but he had to die to provide salvation first. That was so clear to them. But they still thought that now that he had done that, he was going to immediately bring in his kingdom. And Jesus was trying to help them to see, you know, the kingdom is beginning now invisibly with my people. But I'm going to come again and establish it fully the way that you have it in your minds right now. He was telling them all of this. And they asked him questions about it. They said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were trying to grapple with it. And verse 4 takes us to our next word. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, here was something new for them. This thing about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But that was critical in the entire unfolding of what Jesus was going to continue to do and to teach through his people. And so as we know, in the book of Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had gone back to heaven, he asked the Father and said, Dear Lord, will you please let me pour out the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and saturate this group of people known as the followers of Jesus in this world. And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus received that gift from the Father. He poured it out from heaven. It came crashing down like a cataract, like a deluge onto those 120 people, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people at certain times for certain tasks. But in that upper room discourse, Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will be with you, and will be in you. And so on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, fulfilling what he had promised to them, the church was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, we are included in that great baptism, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is where the power comes for continuing to do and to speak the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and being his channels on this planet. Now, 
this is mind-altering for believers when you realize this, that I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I'm not saying anything for the Lord. But the Holy Spirit is filling me. He lives within me because at the moment of my conversion, He comes to live within me. And as I am filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, it isn't me working for the Lord. It is Jesus Christ continuing His ministry by His Spirit through me. That is a very different thing. And when I realized that, it was so liberating. Begun is the first word. In the Gospels, only what Jesus began to do and to teach. And then in Acts chapter 2 came the baptism. We have a part in that because when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes within us. And so we now have the potential for living a Spirit-filled life. And that leads us to the final word here, the but. It says in verse number 8, or verse number 6 rather, Then they gathered around him, asking him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still thought that now that he had died, provided atonement, risen from the grave, that he was, and he was supernaturally glorified now. They thought, surely, this is the moment when the kingdom literally is going to begin in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't say no to that, but he did tell them this. He said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has set by his own authority, but, and here is that third word, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. And he was telling them that in between the first coming and the second coming, which they still were trying to figure out, that there was going to be a period of time that we can call the age of grace, the age of the church, the age of evangelism, in which you and I have one job to do, and that is to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit by taking the gospel to everyone we meet and to the ends of the earth. And we can learn to be very intentional about the way we do this. I'm trying. I'm saying, Lord, give me a greater awareness of the opportunities there are. I have a little piece of property that I bought a few years ago. And so I'm all the time getting phone calls uh, from unknown numbers from realtors or people wanting to buy this piece of property. It's almost not worth having a piece of property because you get so many calls from people. I don't know who all of these people are wanting to buy this little piece of property. So a lot of times I don't answer if I don't know the number, but I answered this week. And I picked it up and I said, hello. And they said, is this Robert Morgan? And you have a piece of property and would you like to sell it? And I thought to myself, I'm going to talk to him. So I said, well, yes, I am Robert Morgan. And I do have that piece of property. And I'm not, don't want to sell that property, but I do have some other property that I would like to interest you in. It's better property. And he said, well, yes, tell me about it. I said, it's in New Jerusalem. It's in a wonderful city called New Jerusalem. 
And this is property that you can have for free, but you've got to make sure that you have already staked your claim to it and that you have a deed for it, which you can have through what Jesus did for you. Can I take a moment and tell you about this? And he said, well, actually, he said, I'm on company time. I'm working for a business. I said, I'm working for a business too. And I said, you're the one who interrupted me. And if I can have two or three minutes, I'd like to tell you about it. And he said, well, yes, all right. And I had about three minutes as graciously and politely and nicely as I knew how, I shared with them the gospel and how to make sure we've claimed our home in heaven. And, you know, he listened very politely. I'll have to give it, you know, I've had a few people cuss me out and hang up. But this young man listened very politely. And when it was over, he said, you've given me a great deal to think about. Thank you for speaking with me. And I hung up and I said, Lord, bless that little bit of truth and may it lead to something more in his life. I don't know if it'll do any good, but it was an opportunity. And as we go through every day, there'll be an Uber driver you can give a little New Testament to. There'll be, you know, there's so many ways in which we can share the gospel. That is what we are here to do. And so what Jesus is saying here, This is a big chunk of scripture. I mean, these eight verses, as you can see, are packed with truth. But let me just go back to my very simple outline. The first word is begun. What Jesus did in the Gospels was simply the beginning of what he is still doing in this world. And the word baptized means that when he got back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit that baptized that Pentecostal congregation in the book of uh, Acts chapter 2 and in the city of Jerusalem. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we connect with that. The Spirit comes to live within us and we can live in and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And then it becomes the Lord doing His work through us and not us simply doing it for Him. And as that happens, we say, Lord, When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to come again? He says the Father already knows that, but until then, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, wherever you are. Just say a word for me. People need the Lord. Let's find every way we can to Say a word for the Lord. Now to me, that's what these eight verses say. And let me close with this final thought. What the Lord is doing in this world cannot be stopped. What you and I are doing for Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. Nobody can stop it. The communist cannot stop it. The persecutors cannot stop it. The secularists and the atheists cannot stop it. Nobody can stop it. It is unstoppable. And we know that because of what a man said 2,000 years ago who was not even a Christian. But he knew this. He knew this even though he didn't know Jesus. I hope that he came to know Jesus. But it's recorded for us in the book of Acts. The man's name was Gamaliel. 
He was the great Hebrew rabbi in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. And the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, did not know what to do with these disciples and their exploding message. And they brought them before the Sanhedrin. And these Jewish rabbis and leaders said, what do we do with these men? And Gamaliel said, you'd better leave them alone. Because if their movement is not from God, it will amount to nothing. But if it is from God, it is unstoppable. You cannot stop it. Nobody has been able to stop it. And nobody will stop it until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And it reaches its climactic fulfillment. So whatever happens politically in the world, whatever happens this week and this month and between now and November 3rd and between now and the Lord comes again, those things are important. But the most important thing is to remember that Jesus shall reign where'er the moon doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till kings shall wax and wane no more. He is still working. He is working in this community. Jesus is speaking and working in the United States of America. Don't make any mistake about that. He is using those of us who are connected with the baptism of the Holy Spirit by our salvation experience. He is filling us with the Holy Spirit and we are his witnesses. And the work is unstoppable. So may the Lord comfort you and encourage you and strengthen you and work through you and me in extraordinary ways in these difficult days. Well, if you would like to know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then just bow your heads and say something like this. Lord, I recognize that I'm in danger of missing out on all of this, but I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I am placing my faith in Him repenting of my sins and with your help turning from them. And from this day forth, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And when you pray a prayer like that earnestly, you can do it today, you can do it right now. Then the Lord will make you his own and will use you in ways you've never dreamed about.